Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. Um, I've mentioned it a few times but I do, (laughs) I have a book coming out and if you're listening today on the day of release on the Wednesday, it is out tomorrow, January the 19th, 2023. So that means you still have time (laughs) to pre-order if you have not already. I'm so sorry for constantly asking you to pre-order. I feel very squeamish and British about it but basically Um, pre-orders all count towards the first week of sales and if a book does well on the first week it means all the bookstores all over the country and all the websites that sell books decide to you know focus on that book and put that book at the front of their page and stock that book and all of those things so it makes a huge huge difference to authors and the book itself so I'm just sorry sorry for asking but if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh I haven't pre-ordered yet Uh, yeah maybe I'll buy it if you think you might buy it, please do pre-order. And if you've ever enjoyed the Griefcast, got something out of it, found something useful, this is just a really simple way to um, pay me back. <laughs> that. Pay me back? That doesn't sound right. Um, but this is a free show. I don't charge you for it. I know you have to listen to adverts occasionally. But yeah, I've put my heart and soul into this book and I really want it to do well and I really want it to be useful for people. And I really think I think it is. So yeah, that is me probably for maybe the last time i might mention it next week as well but um here we go this week's guest is me (laughs) oh could i be more awkward about it so uh in november uh 24th of november 2022 to be exact i went to waterstones Tottenham court road in london and i was interviewed by previous guest fantastic person wonderful human puna bell um she is one of my pals i love her so much and we met when she came on to the grief cast and we've remained friends since then if you don't know uh puna then have a look at her instagram at puna bell and her amazing books in search of emergency in case of emergency <laughs> chase the rainbow in search of silence um she's an amazing human and i couldn't have thought of a better person to interview me about the book and my grief journey and everything that i've been through and we talk about yeah we just talk about grief it's two grief elders 
shooting the breeze. Um, we had a live audience as well. Um, we were so, so grateful that you came along to listen to us chatting about grief. Um, so yeah, this week's guest is the brilliant Carrie Lloyd. She's a writer, performer, a podcaster, improviser, and she has a new book coming out tomorrow called You Are Not Alone, which I think is pretty good. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, good evening, everybody. Um, welcome to our event tonight. Thank you for that intro. I'm your host, Bruna Bell, and of course, I am in conversation with the actor, comedian, improviser, podcaster, and writer. Did I get all of that? Yeah, you did. Yeah. All the things I do. <laughs> Carrie Ad Lloyd, and we are going to be talking about the cheeriest of topics <laughs> grief and death. Woo! You know, just what you need for a rainy yeah. November yeah, evening. But if you know Cariad's work, you will know that she has a supernatural ability <laughs> to talk about something as big as grief and death um, in a way that isn't oppressive and doesn't feel so heavy. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to say nice things. No, You're going to be very I'm embarrassed. Squirming. I'm yeah. squirming so badly. I'm like, yeah, sure, it's fine. I'm all right. It's, I'll do it fine. <laughs> so, so we're here to talk about You Are Not Alone, yes. which is out in January. Um, it's superb. I've read the whole thing. Um, I know that you've got a sampler in your chairs. My particular favourites are um, Fuck Off Five Stages <laughs> and, and Jack D Isn't My Dad. Mm. Um, it contains her reflections on grief, but also all of the people that she has spoken to over the years about including grief. Including yourself. Including myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to, you know, do yeah. my own horn, but yeah. Um, Carrie had started Griefcast in 2016, and I think that, you know, that's actually not that long ago. No. Um, and I think for me, it's it's really it's really funny to think that it's not that long ago. But actually, back then, uh, it, there was nothing like it. I don't really feel like it was in the mainstream conversation at all. No, and I get yeah. a bit annoyed now that it is. <laughs> like sometimes I see other podcasts and they're just like casually talking to someone about grief, just casually. And I'm like, that's not even your show. You're just doing a grief episode. Like that would have been so weird in 2016. Obviously, I'm joking. It's very good. It's very good. Great. Everyone's talking about it. It's great. But um, yeah, yeah, in 2016, people weren't talking about it at all. So I'm always mm. surprised still when it's just like now people are so much more relaxed about it. Because I still remember yeah. when it was like... <gasps> Are you going to talk about that, are you? And it's like, wow, in six years, it has changed so much. It, every time I see a new grief account pop up on Instagram, oh I do wonder if your eye is twitching. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many now. There's so many. Which obviously is wonderful. There is a wonderful way to express your grief and stuff. But it's, mm. it's weird to start a community when like there was like five or six people in that space being like oh hi yeah me too hi and yeah. now it's like you know if you click on hashtag grief on instagram it's mm. like just thousands and thousands of people which is amazing it's amazing that we've come that far but also does i guess you feel like an old lady you know what i mean you're like oh god does anyone remember what it used to be like <laughs> when, it, when we couldn't talk about this kids let me tell you there was a time mm. So yeah, I'm pleased, but also sometimes still like, wow, it's moved so quickly. But there, I mean, you s there are a lot more, let's say, accounts yeah. and definitely podcasts around grief. But I don't want to blow smoke up your bum, but you <laughs> still do it in a way that is <laughs> do it, trying to that is very unique. Because I, d I remember, so I was probably about a year into... Um, after I'd lost my husband, Rob, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, oh my God, it's a podcast and a comedian is talking to other comedians about grief. And it felt like it really resonated because it felt like, yeah, grief is, is very messy and you call it, you know, grief mess mm -hmm. in your book. 
but there's also a lot about it that doesn't have to always be so heavy, I think. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I always wanted because I always wanted to create a space which felt, which reflected how I had grieved, which wasn't the, um, you know, the beach and the sunset and the footprints and that writing saying like, they walk with you. And I was like, they don't, yeah. <laughs> don't walk, where are they? Um, so I remember, I remember sort of in 2016 sort of looking for things and thinking, why doesn't anyone talk about like the mess of it? And why doesn't anyone admit that you laughed when they were like in a hospital? Why does no one admit that? Because I, th I remember thinking it can't just be me, but then I thought, well, maybe it is me. Like <laughs> maybe it is. And that's when, yeah, starting the show, I just wanted to start something that felt just a room that I would have wanted to go into. It was like, oh great, we're not gonna pretend they were a saint. We're not going to pretend like somehow this is a, a good thing. Oh, it's good. They've gone to a better place. Like, have they? <laughs> Where? Um, and I just wanted like a truthful place. But yeah, I feel like that has become, is becoming more mainstream, which is, is amazing and is lovely because the more, the more, I, I feel guilty for making jokes earlier. Um, the more that we talk about it, the better it is for griefsters and the grief community and to feel like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person going through this. So, but yeah, it's, 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 a, yeah, I'm rambling. Mm. <laughs> I'm not used to this side <laughs> of the chair. I'm not used to it. I'm like, want to ask you mm. questions. I'm like, wait for, wait for her to ask no, you. No, no, not, I mean, well, in that vein, yes. um, I have to ask yeah, you the yeah. question that you ask everyone yeah. at the start of your podcast. So Cariad, who are we remembering today? We are remembering my dad, <laughs> Peter Lloyd. Peter Lloyd, that's who we're going to talk about today. Which, yeah, is very strange for me because I'm used to asking the questions and only dropping in the information that I want to give and then yeah. editing out anything that I think is too weird. <laughs> so, which I'll probably still do. So you, you're the, the few that will get to hear this. But yeah. yeah. So he is the subject of your book, but yes. also he's part of something much bigger. I mean, he's part of not just your past, but also your present, mm. also your future, yeah. as well as so many other stories of grief. And I guess the question that I wanted to ask you was about the book, really, because as you now know, writing a book is a different endeavour to doing a podcast. Yes, they don't tell you that at the start. <laughs> they don't tell you. <laughs> they make you. out like it'll they be the same. You in. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to ask you, anything that you want to talk about around the book, what, what compelled you to write it? What did you find out? Were, were there new compartments to your grief that you discovered while writing it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose what compelled me to write it was people kept asking mm. from doing the podcast, people were like, oh, you should write a book about this. And I sort of thought, well, oh, yeah, maybe. And then as the years went on and I sort of realised how many people, because we're nearly at episode 200, I thought, that's quite a lot of people, isn't it? That's like, if you do a PhD, you're like, that's like six years' research. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> I have actually... Because for ages I saw it as just a podcast and a conversation. And I thought, oh, actually, it's research without meaning to do research. And so then, yeah, someone sort of formally said... Do you, do you think you should write a book? And I thought, well, I'll try and write a proposal. And if I can do that, then obviously there is a book to be had of it. And as soon as I started writing the proposal, I was like, oh, you could say that and that. Oh, and tell people that. Tell people five stages is bullshit. Tell people there's no timeline. Tell people it's not linear. Like, I suddenly realized there were quite a few lessons that had come from talking to so many people. Yeah, I think in terms of my grief, writing it was really difficult really really hard just to warn anybody who wants to write about their grief it's really hard and um, I find it much easier to talk about my grief and I think there was a lot of things that I sort of had to revisit especially because 
in the book is a mixture of um, vignettes of my own grief and then like essays of things that come up on the podcast. And the essays are much lighter and sillier and me being like, hey, did you know this is what happens? But the vignettes that are my memories, it was very hard to go back to. Um, but in interest, not, you know what I mean, as ever with grief, it wasn't, I didn't regret doing it, but it wasn't easy. <laughs> it's like remembering like the day he died and like the really early grief moments, which I think I'd kind of, I don't talk about that much on the show because on the show I'm so focused on grief and after effects and being in the club for 20 years, what does that mean? And having to go back to the beginning was really like, yeah, difficult, really difficult, but not, um, I don't regret it. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want to do this. It was just like, I don't know, like running and running or something. It's like, oh, I, don't, I know I'll feel better, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> Somebody said, you don't have to do it. You can just watch telly. I'd be like, oh, yeah, great. I'll do that. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They made me write it. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch telly. But I think your description of it is actually very close to, to what grief is actually like. It's not just, you know, when you're writing about your grief when you actually it's like this to me it seems like this sort of very organic living thing that doesn't really have a shape and yes. then all of a sudden you have to wrestle it to the ground yes. and then give it a shape and give it form and mm -hmm. give it thought and even though it's stuff that you may have spoken about like countless times mm -hmm. before it's a very different thing to sort of then having to put a timeline to it or having to just yeah, yeah. relive that stuff right yeah i think the timeline's interesting because i wanted it to I wanted if you had never listened to the podcast that you could pick up the book and be like, oh, I see, that's what happened to her. She was 15 and then you got diagnosed and this and this and this. So having to sort of narrate your own story and I was like, oh, like a lot of decisions made sense. <laughs> I was like, because I had to sort of pinpoint events and I was like, oh, that did happen, didn't it? Five years after he died. That's probably why that happened. <laughs> like, oh, you weren't in therapy then, were you? Mm, well, that's probably why you did that. So it's kind of, interesting and i think what you're saying there is so true like wrestling it you do have to wrestle it is a bear <laughs> like wrestling this bastard <laughs> like into a shape but i did find that a lot of things became more peaceful a bit more peaceful i think that always happens every time you face your your grief isn't it so there was definitely events that i was like as i wrote them i thought that feels like that cannot go to bed forever, but it's like karma now I've actually remembered it. Especially I think for me, the early stuff, like finding out the diagnosis and the three months from when he was sick to dying. Cause I think that to me, I'd kind of not looked at the whole of the grief cast. Cause it was like, that's the death. It's not the grief. We're talking grief cast. So I like didn't have to talk about it. Um, so yeah, that stuff was, yeah, hard, but it did feel looking at it was like, oh, mm, okay, I can be a bit calmer about it now, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, so I would say that when you're talking about having to sort of, so the things you were mentioning that are in the book around, um, you know, things like even the funeral and how oh you feel yeah, afterwards yeah. and so on. And I can imagine that it's a tough thing of how do you take your own personal experience, but also how do you make it something that's universal, which mm -hmm. is effectively what both of these subjects are. And we have different, we've experienced different types of grief, yeah. you and I, but there was so much in your book where I was like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one that <laughs> did that. And it's often, it's not the big stuff. It's actually the kind of mad little stuff that yeah. you do, you know, where you're sort of just waiting for them to come back. And you're like, oh, <laughs> no, they, 
they didn't die. They just went to a different room. It's so <laughs> mad, isn't it? Yeah. So mad. I, was, I did a grief class interview this week. Um, it's the same thing. Someone who'd lost their dad 11 years ago. And we both admitted, you do still feel think, I wonder if they'll come back. <laughs> still, even though you know. Um, and I think that's what's so interesting about grief is that where it connects and where it doesn't, because having interviewed so many people, the more I spoke to people, the more I realised my grief actually was very individual and I couldn't always find a connecting point. I'd be like, oh, I didn't feel like that. That's weird that you felt like that. <laughs> and, um, and then actually, like you said, it's these, these small bridges that you find with someone where you're like, that's how I felt in my pure rage or my pure grief or after the funeral. So that's the thing about grief that's so confusing. It's so connecting and at the same time so isolating. And I think once I've learned to allow both those things to be true, it's got easier. Because I used to always want, no, no, I have to have the same as you. And that, that's how I'm going to feel less alone with this. Whereas now I'm like, oh, no, there's so many connections and so many other things. I'm like, I didn't experience that. That's not what happened to me. That's not, you know, my person that died or my, it was a parent. It was this, it was that. They were this age. And I talk about that in the book as well, like your Venn diagram of your grief, which it's like, you know, like my Venn diagram is my dad, but also I was a teenager, but also pancreatic cancer. And I did once meet someone that had exactly the same. And we were like, oh my God, my God. <laughs> me too. Um, but so it's good to be aware of like what your personal circumstances of your grief are and how it can intersect with someone and not intersect with someone. But that doesn't mean that you are alone and isolated there are these small moments of connection all the time but yeah it, the mad things that you do I definitely don't know why you still think they're coming back <laughs> I don't everybody thinks it everybody says there's a small part of your brain that if they if you open the front door and they were there you'd be like I thought so yeah. I knew it <laughs> I knew it didn't I say and, and even though you know that's not going to happen it I think that's I don't know that's maybe that's what hope is like I don't know but um, so I had that, uh, this was probably a few weeks ago where I saw someone who looked exactly mm. like how Rob, my husband would have looked. That one is the worst. And he was wearing like the worst jeans. And I, <laughs> I remember thinking, he, he does look like him, but I feel like Rob would be really mad that I, because <laughs> he, hate, he hates skinny jeans. <laughs> right, he's and so bad jeans. I was like, no, he wouldn't have been cool with that. But yeah, so have you ever, you, you must have done. All the time, yeah. because so my dad was, a white, middle-class, middle-aged, balding man. Like that in London. And he wore a suit every day. You're on the tube, it's constant. It's really constant. Like, and it's got a bit easier because he's obviously so defined, like that, you know, 1998. So that style isn't like that common. Although bloody 90s fashion coming back has thrown me. Um, so yes, I, I have often, less so, I think, but if I ever, it, he was had really black hair as well and he was balding and like just this energy coming off him. So if I see a kind of like businessman in London, like talking on his phone, I totally get that, like the heart stopping. Oh God. And the worst happened to my husband because his dad was very tall and quite distinctive looking and we were living in Paris very briefly and there was this amazing food market near us. And the man who sold us the amazing bacon looked so much like his dad <laughs> that we couldn't go to the stall anymore because it was like, but it was such good bacon, guys. <laughs> it was so good. And the first time we went, Ben couldn't speak. And I was like, he's asking you for the, like, what's happening? And he just walked away and he was like, 
he looks so much like my dad, I can't even move. And I looked back and I was like, it literally looked like your dad lied about dying, moved to Paris, <laughs> opened a bacon shop. Like it was so weird that we went back again next week just to look at this guy and be like, that is, that is so weird. And he was like, but he never would have done that. It would have been so unusual for him to do <laughs> He was an architect, it would have been a really big choice. But yeah, that, I think, again, that's such a, that, everybody says that, that comes up and then, I think it's again, you know that theory, or not a theory, it's true, isn't it? Like the peripheral of your vision, you can't see, but you think you can, your brain adds it in. And I think that's what happens. You see, like if I see black hair, suit, balding, my brain just puts my dad's face on. And so that's what happens to you. Your brain is like, <gasps> it's them. And then you look instantly and you're like, oh, it, is, oh, it isn't them. But it's, I think it's your brain just still looking for the person, still thinking, oh, is, maybe I'll see them. And... <sighs> I think you just get better at managing it. I don't know how you feel about it. I, I, I think you get better at managing the shock of yes, it. Yes, that's but true, yeah. I say this as someone that um, there's no way of, of not sounding like a creep. So basically, <laughs> like, so, so Rob had like a very distinctive silhouette. Like he right. had very broad shoulders and he had a quite a specific walk. Right. So if it's a guy who kind of fits that, yeah. it, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, it's a stature yeah. thing, right? So what I did behind this one guy... <laughs> What are you doing, Runa? What's that? He went I, home, he's like, I this woman followed me. It was so weird. It felt so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that the moment this guy turned his head, like the spell would be broken. Yeah. So I basically just scuttled behind him <laughs> just enough so that I could only see his back. Yeah. And then he turned and I was like, ugh. And then I, I, I sort of walked away and I, I just... Uh, not you. <laughs> not your real face. I was like, you just ruined it. I hope you're happy. <laughs> So yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> I think that's nice. I think it's nice you let yourself do that. Because I think a lot of people don't. A lot of people go, don't be stupid. It's not them. Go away. But to just indulge in it and be like, oh, look, that's what they would look like. That's what it would be like. It's just, I think sometimes you're, we're so worried about things hurting. Whereas actually, like it already, as we know, we always say, it already hurts. It already hurts. Like, why not follow him until he turns around? Damn him. <laughs> don't look at me. Keep walking. <laughs> Poor guy, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's just my face. Um, yeah, why not? I don't know, I feel like, yeah, now, if I see them on the tube, the businessmen, mm. um, now I will take a good look. Before I used to be much more like, I can't believe, like, it's so upsetting. Was now I really take it in and I'm like, mm. oh yeah, well, maybe not that suit, but yeah, maybe those, yeah. oh yeah, okay. And I'm all right as long as they don't meet family. If they meet family, I'm pissed off. Like yeah. if I saw them then meet their kids, I'd yeah. be like, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you with your children. But if I just see him, I can kind of keep that to myself and be like, oh, oh you look like my dad. I love that. And I love these little realities that we construct in our heads, oh, yeah. um, which I think we think are individual to us. But actually, I love... I love how interconnected all of this yeah. is because it is the really the thing that I think softens the edges of grief. Yes. The thing that you wrote about, um, sorry, I know I've got a thousand things I want to ask no, you. No, no. But the thing you wrote about death month, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honest, I have to thank you for that because I thought I was the only one oh, who thought about death month. Oh. And um, and it's a, just a, do you want to tell everyone a brief explanation of <laughs> I death can month? Remember. Well, basically, so it's your anniversary month is your death month, mm. and then it ruins that season. 
And obviously, I'm quite lucky because we don't have any birthdays, but I know people who've got birthdays. I know people who've got, it's the dad's anniversary on Father's Day. Like, oh, stuff, so so rude. So why would that happen? So yeah, it becomes that month in the calendar that you, as you're turning over, you're like, oh, here it comes. Like, so mine's April. January's all right. February, I might hear them. It's on its way. March, it's like, oh, shit. And then April, it's like, oh, fuck. Okay, here we go. And it's just, yeah. I feel like you brace yourself, you know, for the whole... And I, I feel lucky because it's spring, but at least it's not Christmas. It's not Father's Day. It's not that sunny, so you're not that jolly anyway. Like, I've, I've like, made my peace with April. But, yeah, I still hate it. I hate April. So... Uh, May for me. Oh, hate May. No. Hate May. Yeah. That's sad because May is a good <laughs> flower yeah. time. Yeah, that's hard. It, it's fine. It's, yeah, I mean, you, it's, you, you know. You, you deal with it. Yeah. April yeah. and June are perfectly serviceable months, but yeah. not for you. Not for me. I hate, not for yeah, you. It's it. going to be uh, May and June onwards. Yeah. But um, I think what, I, what really hit home about what you wrote about that was the fact that it's the number of years that have passed. Yes. So for me next year, it will be eight years. Oof. And I know for sure that there are a lot of people in my life, very well-meaning and very supportive and would not have made it through without them and so on. But they have no clue that it's my death month. Yeah. And someone sent me like a really <coughs> jaunty message on the tone. <laughs> very, the tone was very ill-advised going... Manage your tone, guys. Manage yeah, the tone. it was something like, oh, I'm, I, I don't know if you're still... Not, it, it wasn't like I don't know if you're still sad about it, but I don't know if you're still like something along those lines. And I was like, No, I'm not. Ah! I'm fine. <laughs> oh my God, why are you even asking? How weird. <laughs> of course, I'm not fine. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, yeah, so after that message, I just thought, I, I sorry, they actually yeah. said like, oh, no, 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 no. It, so it wasn't, it wasn't as crass as I'm, I'm we, making we it out to be as I him. rapidly try and like <laughs> chew back my words. But it was, it was jaunty. Yeah, and jaunty. I just thought, you know what? I, I'm not saying you even need to message me on the day. Yeah. Today's not the day for jauntiness, no, you know? No. So I just remember thinking when I read your book, I was like, I'm really glad that someone understands that no matter how much time. Yeah. And that's the thing I kind of want to ask you about really is that, for a lot of people who have listened to Griefcast episodes, who've, who've you know, read or heard what you said, I think is the validation that it doesn't matter how much time because yeah. the rest of the world doesn't seem to give a flying fuck. I know. Really. Like that's they see, annoying. Yeah, I so find that annoying. And that's what annoys me and I feel like I didn't make the point very well earlier. We have all these grief accounts and that's great and everyone's talking about grief but no one's doing the other work of like, so when someone's still upset 20 plus years, don't be surprised. Don't act like that's weird. Well, we're all happy to retweet things, but we're not happy to like change our thinking. And that's what annoys me about the like the disconnect from these two things of like, oh, oh, grief is in the mainstream, we're talking about it, but we're not accepting that 20 plus years for me might still be hard. Like but I find it oh, it's just really annoying. <laughs> um I think I'm well. So sometimes, obviously, when I'm doing a show like this, and I think, oh God, why am I, why did I do this to myself? Why am I talking about my grief still? And I think, well, there's something in joining the club that early that gives me, oh, I don't want to feel silly saying it, but gives me an authority that I can be like, hey, 20 plus years in, I'm still annoyed, so it's all right for you, eight plus years. Because I feel like sometimes people look and go, oh, well, if she's still sad, maybe it's, maybe I'm not weird for being sad six years in. You're like, no, you're not. Maybe I'm weird for being 20 plus years. And I feel like the more I can shout about it and go, yeah, it's 20 plus, I'm still, it still bothers me. Most days I'm fine. I don't wake up crying. I'm not like, 
I can talk about it like this, I'm not bawling, but of course I'm still, it's still a sad thing that happened to me. And so I feel like I sort of have to use my 20 plus years for good and be like, let me lead all the, <laughs> the people with less years behind me and be like, we're allowed to still be upset about this. And I, if you've been, if you've been through it, as we say all the time, if you're in the club, then why would you ever think someone's gonna be fine with it, you know? And I don't mean, like I said, I don't mean devastated, but I mean like, April's still hard. Don't be jaunty to me <laughs> on that day. Like I'm not gonna be like, it, it's always going to be important to me in some way. Yeah, and I do hope people allow themselves, because I, so many guests who are, less in the club than as in time wise and they always say to me oh i i think i should probably not i should probably be over it like constant and the emails from listeners and when people meet me at events i just say oh yeah i know i'm 10 plus years so probably should stop talking about it now and you're like that's not coming from you that's coming from society from your friends from you know the expectation that's not you you still want to talk about it so i'm not saying shout on the bus all the time i'm grieving <laughs> but uh, but equally don't feel like you should pack it away if that makes sense it does i mean i think that um it makes perfect sense i also think that if i'm being compassionate i don't know why but if i'm being compassionate i think it's because when other people make you feel like that mm. it's because they want the reassurance that when it happens to them they'll be okay they'll be okay yeah. and you know, it. We know it's not a it's not a, a pessimistic or a negative thing to no, say. It's never no. it's never not going to be sad, mm -hmm. and it's never going to be something that you feel indifferent about. And that's okay because yeah. it kind of shapes you in other ways that are just that can can give you a much sharper appreciation for things. Mm. And it's also something that happens to everyone. Yeah, you know. And I just think that a big part of what you do is is normalizing that and getting people to kind of. Not confront that because that just sounds really aggressive. No, I but know what to you just mean, discuss yeah. it. Yeah, I and I, I think this is the problem again. This like disconnect from what people perceive grief to be and what it is. If when I say I'm still sad, they think, "Oh God, if it happens to me, I don't want to be sad for twenty years." <laughs> and I'm like, "I haven't been sad for twenty. I haven't been consistently sad. I've been sad and happy and fine and brilliant and amazing and awful and like it's that thing of." we always want life to be so binary and so linear and like so when they are talking to you as i wrote in the book this podcast i did years ago where the guy was like oh i think if my dad died i wouldn't feel like you did <laughs> i was like oh all oh, right would you and he was like yeah i think i'd get over it i was like <laughs> with his two pet two alive parents so i was like all oh, right and i tried to say to him no it's not that i haven't it's not that I haven't tried to get over it it's like it's what i've realized is it's not something you do get over it's not like i'm not tried hard enough it's exactly like you said why i love what you write about grief of like this honesty of it's just a thing that's sad and it shapes you but it doesn't mean i'm crying all the time like that's not what i'm saying but i think people find it's confusing because if you're on the outside of the club you want to believe everyone goes in there cries about two years later they leave yeah. <laughs> and then they're fine like that would be wouldn't that be nice that'd be great if that was true but what else in your life is like that? Like nothing in your life is like that. It's not like, oh, I went to university for three years and now I never discuss it. I never mention it. I can't remember anything about it. It's like, it shaped me and I remember some things, some things I don't, good memories, bad memories. Like, but with death, we want it to be so clear cut because we're so afraid that we might be sad at one point. Well, you will be. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll be okay.
<laughs> Look, I'm smiling. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. I wanted to ask you about the anger. Oh, um, <laughs> it's totally gone. It's totally gone. So one thing I definitely was not prepared for mm. was how much anger there was yeah. until someone said to me, "You're really angry, like all the t- <laughs> all the time." Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which probably right to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I. I don't think, especially at the beginning stages, and I would like to ask you about Mm. your experience with this, where I couldn't, because I was so angry, I couldn't see how angry I was. I know that there's like obviously an irony in that. (laughs) Um, And the only way I could describe it is it just, it it made me just want to literally burn the entire world down and and I didn't care what kind of went with it. Right. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) I can relate to that. when you had to kind of like think about and revisit certain things and different stages of your life that you mm. were in and you kind of could see that anger and you could see how that anger manifested and so on, how was that for you? Like what sort of periods um, of time could you see that really flare up for you? I was really angry at the beginning, which I do, again, if you want to make somebody feel angry, a teenager is already, I was already quite angry to be fair. <laughs> and then this happened and it was like, you know, most teenagers are railing against nothing. They've got supportive parents, they're fine. But like I had death to rail against. So I was like so self-righteous. <laughs> I was like, life is shit actually. My dad did die. So I was really angry at the beginning. And for many years afterwards, I, I think probably about 10 years of quite, I mean, it lessened and it came and went. And obviously I was a young person at a time. so. Th- there was lots of other confusion, but um, I was furious. I felt like, yeah, that b- absolute burning fire, like you, you couldn't come near me. I would just, I was like, just go and just say anything, go on, I'm ready. Um, and then I think slowly the problem with anger, for me, this is my truth, is it was hiding immense sadness, immense massive pools of it. And you can't keep burning, like you, you burn out. You know, and I tried to keep it going because it was like, well, I understand anger. Anger makes sense. It's a familiar place. And it just got to this point where I just couldn't get so angry about it anymore. And I felt tired. I just remember feeling very tired of being that angry. And also the reaction you get back is not great. (laughs) People don't love it. Um, Whereas, you know, if if I'd cried nicely, people would have been much more supportive. But that would be too easy. and so then I think it sort of hit me, I guess it was late, yeah, late 20s. And that's when I started sort of heading down the therapy route very gently. I mean, I, like I had lots of full starts, but I definitely started to, I got fed up of it. I, I think for a long time I liked it because it, it meant no one got near me. And actually that's what I wanted. Because I was like, don't come near me because I, because I don't know what's going to happen if you come near me. I don't know how long I'll cry for. I honestly thought I wouldn't stop. So I was like, stay angry. I remember thinking, just stay angry because they will go away. 
at school. And they did. The teachers were like, oh my God, awful child, like screaming at us, throwing the chair across the room. Yeah, just go, have detention, go away. But obviously what you want is someone to go, what's really going on? And everyone's like, stop shouting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I got tired of it. And then I, I made, definitely made a decision. And I quite like that. I sort of make it sort of decide things. And I was like, okay, enough. This isn't, wor this isn't working. This isn't working. And that's when I moved into sort of having more therapy and talking about it. And then when I realized what it was hiding, that became such a huge thing to deal with of like, oh, fuck, you can't be busy being angry. You've got to sort this sadness out. And actually the anger is such a way of putting energy over there I was like, oh, shit, it doesn't matter what anyone's like, you've got to deal with yourself, haven't you? That's going to take much longer than all this shouting to get on with it. <laughs> so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't easy. But I, again, when I read about grief or when I looked at grief, anger was, didn't seem to be discussed. Or if it did, it was very, um, it's okay to be angry for a day. <laughs> like, it didn't describe the disgusting, horrible nature of anger. And that's what I want to not normalize, but put my hand up and go, yeah, if anyone else felt like that, you're not alone. It's all right to be vile, like to be so angry and vile that people aren't helping you. That's okay. How can we get through that? How can we recognize that rather than you should feel bad for feeling that? Because it wasn't a choice. I don't know about you. I didn't choose to be angry. It's just, I didn't have anything else. Like that was my emotion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. And I think that what I... What I think around anger, generally anyway, is that I don't really think for most of my life that I felt definitely not as a woman that anger was an okay emotion. Yeah, yeah. And so when it kind of came upon me, I didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Because um, it, it wasn't something I could really control. Mm. I didn't even realize how angry I was. <laughs> That's the worst. The but people are like, you know you're shouting. You're like, am I? <laughs> really? Oh God, you yeah. hear yourself, like, that is quite loud, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time I was really indignant, but yeah. I think- um, when That's when the best, an angry, <laughs> an angry indignant person. Oh, what company? <laughs> Come round more. Yes, please. <laughs> My favorite. But it's just, it, I think it also like impacted life choices. Yeah, so, definitely. Like I wrote, I, I can't believe I wrote this as a chapter in, so I wrote a book called In Search of Silence, which is what I chatted to Carriad about yeah, in 2019. Book. The title of the first chapter was Eat, Pray, Fuck You. Like, <laughs> and I was Mine like- Mine is fuck you five stages. <laughs> like, you know, it's okay. I've changed it since. Cause you? yeah, it's, it, yeah, I've, I've changed it for the paperback because I thought it was a little bit too aggy. But, uh, but when I reread that book, I did think there's a lot of stuff in there that I think is a very true capture. Mm, but that what, moment. Yeah, yeah, but what did shock me was I was like, oh my God, I was so angry at mm. like everyone and everything. And I just created this like forest of prickles so that no one would come near me. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, when you sort of think about your past self, how much compassion do you have for yourself in terms of knowing that you did those things for a reason? And also when you experience your grief, I mean... It was like a grief wasteland, mm. you know, in yeah. terms of like what people knew about grief, especially to do with kids and oh how God, you process yeah. it. Nothing. So yeah, so I guess like how do you have compassion towards your younger self? I do now, this? thanks to therapy, <laughs> TM. Um, yeah, I do now. I didn't for years. For years, I just was like, you dealt with it badly, and you're an idiot, and you should have done this, and this is, you know, 
this is your fault basically and if only you dealt with it better it would have been over quicker that was my sort of internal voice and then when I got into therapy properly when I finally found someone and finally started talking about it and she would say things to me like well you were only 15 and I think the other thing that happened was by the time I was in therapy I think I was probably like mm, mid 30s so then you can look at a 15 year old and you see them as young whereas for when you're you know 25 you're like Oh, they're not come on they're, they're basically an adult treat them as such and so it took me I needed to get so far away from a 15 year old to go wow that is tiny and I remember so, I don't know where I was somebody was with their kid and they said oh this is my daughter she's 15 and I looked at her and I thought fuck that is a tiny person like I was like oh that's a child but I had if you'd said to me at 15 are, you know are you a responsible adult obviously I'd have been like fuck you yes I am because <laughs> very angry so I needed a lot of space to see that compassion and I still speak to people now who lost people as teenagers and they still talk to themselves very uncompassionately and I have tried in those conversations in grief class to be like you know you were just a kid and they'll no 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 I mean I was 14 but I knew I knew I, I just needed to get over it and it's this language that you learn at the time because you're trying to protect yourself I think and often I find if they're older than me, they find it very hard to be compassionate about themselves in that way because it is a newer thing, isn't it? And I don't mean that patronizingly. I just mean I've spoken to a lot of older grievers who are like, no, no, you know, I, that's absolutely the right, you know, I, I was a grown-up and I should have got over it quicker. <laughs> You're like, you were 12. That sounds <laughs> awful. So I am much more compassionate to myself now, but it took a long time. It definitely took a long time. And I don't think, I don't think you can get there without... Oh, sorry, work, like therapy, basically. <laughs> sorry, sorry, there's no easy route, sorry. There is no easy route, but also I think that um, the thing I wanted to ask you about was because you were so young when this happened, and personally speaking, I think that it's... When you, when you undergo, when you experience like a very deep, significant grief um, that you know is the type of thing that fundamentally is changing mm. you, there's almost this kind of like, like as if someone's put like a thumbtack and that was you yeah. before and yeah, this yeah. is you afterwards. And I feel like that sort of, um, it's kind of like that intercision of the self is such a difficult thing, I think, sometimes to reconcile. And... In terms of, you know, we've been talking about compassion and so on. How do you feel now about the reconciliation of those two parts of you? Do you see them as separate or are they... Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. I was yeah. like, oh, how do I yeah. feel? Um, yeah, I, again, I have changed so fundamentally through doing this show and through writing this book and through therapy. I used to... I used to say it wasn't a big deal. I used to literally say to people, oh, my dad died when I was 15. Oh, dad's died. Well, it was no big deal. You know, just happened to be younger. Like, I honestly thought it was not a particularly interesting thing that happened. And now I'm like, it's huge. It's huge. And especially I saw a stat for, you know, the amount of um, how, how old people are when their parents die. And it's the, the number at 15 is like, it's like this big. And obviously it gets bigger as you get older. And I sent it to my brother and we were like, oh, oh it was quite rare. <laughs> like, oh, that, that makes sense. And now I'm very much more like, it was the biggest thing that happened to me. And of course it shaped me. And of course I'm still talking about it. And of course it's formed this, a fundamental like pillar of my work. 
but it's I didn't want it to <laughs> I didn't want it to I wanted it to be like just a passing thing you know like oh yeah I went to Sussex I, I did English my dad died no no big deal um but I've learned to kind of not proud I've learned to be okay with it and just because it, it, that is the truth the truth is it did change me and I I still struggle a little bit as you can see <laughs> admitting it but I have learned to just go I think I thought it was self-indulgent for years. I think I thought it wasn't a big deal and I was making a bit of a fuss. And especially because my brother's completely different. He doesn't talk about it. And he often like says to me, oh, you're still talking about it. Like, like he just like, he's like, I just don't feel the need. People don't know, like his friends might not know that it even happened. He's just like, it's just not. And I, that's just the way two people have dealt with it. I don't think either is right or wrong. But I think for a long time I would look, because he's older, and be like, oh, I should be like that. That's normal. That's the normal way, not still banging on about it. Talking about it every week on a podcast. What's wrong with you? So, yeah, I've learned just to accept that's the way I need to deal with it. I'm sorry I have to tell you this, because I feel like as a grief elder, you're going to um, send silent curses. A year after Rob passed away, one of my work colleagues, when oh, I was sort go. of telling... Here we go. What did I, I do? <laughs> I was telling one of my work colleagues about um, a sort of a disagreement I'd had with a friend of mine who I didn't, I didn't feel like sh she was being particularly there for me. Yeah. And he was like, well, maybe because you keep banging on about it all the time. Where is he? Where is he now? I'll slip you his name afterwards. Yes. Yeah. What can um, we do? We can just turn up at his house, be like, he's still living here, still going on about it. Jesus Christ. I know. But to your point, though. Why do people say these things? I just don't I understand don't why people say these things. It's I so weird. But I don't, I don't know. And also, I feel like, to your point, this is why we feel like that. Mm. Because there are just little, even though it may not be something that someone says to you every single day for your life. But it stings when it, it when stings. It, yeah. yeah. So and it, it yeah. cuts this, like, little groove in you of, like... Oh, I'm talking. Oh, I'm talking too much about that. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. And I definitely had people be like, especially at uni. I think that's when it sort of came up because at school everyone knew, you know, so it wouldn't be such a, a thing. But everyone was aware of it. And then you go somewhere new, and everyone's like, "Hey, what do your mum and dad do?" And you're like, "My mum lives at home." <laughs> Stop asking me questions. And mm. yeah, people would be very like, "Oh right. Oh, when did he die? Oh, five years ago. Oh right. Okay. Anyway, you think, what do you mean anyway? What do you mean anyway? Like, so then you internalize that. And you think, yes, five years is a long time, isn't it? Yeah, they're right. Why would they ask me any questions about that? Yeah, five years is ages. And my excuse was always like, well, they were like twenty-one. What do they know? But what's this man's excuse? <laughs> no, he's a no, he's a grown person. So yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> Um, there is a, a chapter in the book mm. that is so beautiful. Also, because I also love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> it's geek time. <laughs> you thought it was death time. No, nope, it's geek time. Um, and you talk about Lemba spread, yeah. which, um, do people know what that is? They're, not, they're no? cool. They're cool. <laughs> they don't Listen, know. we know you know, but you're just pretending yeah. to be cool like you don't watch the <laughs> Okay. So Lemba spread before I butcher the meaning of it. No. Would you? So well, I'll probably butcher it as well. But it, it's yeah, yeah, it's elven bread. It's magical bread. <laughs> Don't be judging Lord of the Rings. It's what? It's cool magical bread that cool people eat. <laughs> so it's elven magical bread, and they give it to the hobbits. And basically, you eat the tiniest bit, and it makes you feel like you've had a five course meal, and it will keep you going. And it's like it looks like a giant biscuit. But the elves give it to the hobbits, and when they need it most, when they think mm. we can't carry on, they have a little nibble of lembas bread, and they manage to keep going. And I, I reference it in the book. 
Yeah. Well, you said it was kind of actually about um, unless I've just. I don't want to paraphrase no. this in the wrong way, but the what you were saying was that it's about community and it's about how community helps each other and about how talking about this stuff helps us. But also, I think, crucially, I think it's talking to the right people because if you talk yes. to people like my work the bad colleague. people, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the idiots. It, it's bad. And I would say that what things have people said to you or how have people reacted that have actually been helpful that you could remember? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I can remember the bad ones, not the bad ones, the helpful ones. Yeah, so my, my point with limba spread was that you, in grief, you need a limba, you need your version of it. Like something that when you think, I cannot fucking deal with this anymore, you have a little nibble and you think, I'm going to be all right. And for me, that was talking and therapy and making sure I shared it because every time I did that, it felt better. The best, I wrote about this in the book, like the best thing, I was with um, Ken Campbell, who some of you will know, who's this mad theatre producer, playwright, one man, mad person, brilliant genius, I should add to his fans. And I was driving in the car with him and he really was like, you know, he owned a parrot and wolves and lived in a forest, like very mad man. And he just suddenly turned to me and he was like, where's your dad? <laughs> Why am your dad? Because we were talking about parents. And I said, thinking, and he's very, not a sensitive person. And I was like, oh God, oh God. And I said, oh, he's died. And he went, yeah, they have a habit of doing that, dads. And I thought, <laughs> that's the best thing anyone's ever said. Cause I was like, yes, thank you. Because it was like, what a funny thing to say. Cause it wasn't like, oh, how strange. Oh, how weird should we talk about it? It was like, yeah, that happens. And I felt so calm. And it's an odd example to choose cause he was an odd person, but it just made me go when someone doesn't freeze, revulse, you know, like get that like, oh God, you're gonna talk about death. How can I, how can I move you? But I just find the people who who just don't, just when you say it, are just like, yeah, that's shit. And you're like, yeah. Like you don't have to have a big long, you know, it doesn't have to be this painful conversation, but someone just to sort of not run away from it. And I think that's the thing, you know when someone's trying to run away from it, even if they're trying to hide, even if they're trying to be polite, even if they don't say, oh, stop talking about it, but they just go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, ah! um, just when people are helpful and, and I think also the thing that I wrote about in the book, when people are honest and they go, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I don't know what to say. And I go, that's okay, thank you, don't worry about it. And they go, oh, I feel like I should say something. And you go, yeah, that's all right. And they go, oh, oh well, if you want to talk about it. And you go, I don't really, <laughs> we're in a work do. And they go, <laughs> okay. But that I love, because I love when someone's just honest of like, oh, I didn't expect that. I don't know what, you know, that to me is absolutely fine. What I can't deal with is when they make you, they sort of pack it away for you as if you've made a mistake. As if like, oh, sorry, you've mentioned death. You don't want to do that, do you? So, God, how embarrassing for you. And you're like, no, I'm actually fine with it. So yeah, I think it's about, and I wrote about that in the book as well, of like, we all need to get, myself included, we all need to get better at being calm when someone brings it up. Because I still get it, if, if it's a grief that I'm not comfortable with, or if it's a really traumatic grief, I feel myself, oh shit, shit, I'm supposed to know what to say, and I don't know what to say. Just to be calm and be like, they're just telling you, they're not asking you to solve it. Just be like, okay, that sounds bad. <laughs> like it, but I think that's an internal thing we all need to work on, myself included. I also think, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I feel like, what someone says to you about grief, about your grief, mm. can, in the same way that your grief changes, 
I think that you can receive it differently yes, at different times. Absolutely. Yes. And I whenever I meet people fresh in the club, as I say for the first five years, and they'll be like, Oh, if someone says sorry for your loss, how dare they? And I think, you know what, in ten years' time you'll appreciate sorry for your loss. You'll be like, Great, sorry for your loss, come in. Because other people will stop mentioning it. Mm. <laughs> I'll take a sorry for your loss. So I agree with you. I have definitely softened. I don't mind I'm sorry for your loss. I don't mind so much if people try and make some weird positive about it anymore. Like I used to, re you know, the fury was there, but I do think you you change how, quite how sensitive you are. And also you're used mm. to terrible, people saying terrible, like idiotic things. So <laughs> someone trying their best becomes quite welcome, doesn't it? Like. I think also you can sense the intention behind it. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I have this one relative of mine who is atrocious <laughs> at handling any kind of grief whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And the last time we had to talk about um, someone we knew who had died and I had to break the news to her. Oh, God. Um, it wasn't our direct, it wasn't her direct relative. It was it was mine on my in-law's side. And then she just started reeling off people that she knew had died <laughs> in the last year. <laughs> like she was some kind of town crier. Oh. And I was like, the panic, the yeah. panic. I just said, yeah. what are you talking about? It's the same when um, if you talk about cancer and they go, I knew someone had that cancer and they lived. And you go, why are you telling me I this? Know. <laughs> but it's the panic because they're just going, say something, say something. Because they don't want to say, God, I don't know what to say to you. I'm so sorry. I wish I knew what to say. Because yeah. we're so afraid of just not knowing. We yeah. feel like we have to have an answer. We're adults. We know how to do conversation. So they just panic. That is so funny. I yeah. know some other people who died. These are their names. <laughs> Great. The Thank worst you. thing is, they weren't even people that I knew. <laughs> <laughs> just listing. Oh, God. Um, Carrie Ed, yes. before we move on to audience yes. Q&A, I have to ask you. Oh, yes. As a grief elder, do you have any last words? <laughs> and I know that that was, as those words have just come out of my mouth. That sounds like I'm dying. It does. <laughs> so, um, as I slip away <laughs> at Waterstones, Tottenham Court Road. Um, and we should say, we call each other grief elders, which came from when you were on the podcast, when Fiona was on the podcast, because we like, we feel like we've been around for ages talking about it. Um, yeah, I, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I guess it's just, I think what we've been talking about a lot of like compassion, being kind to yourself. And also, I think the other thing I really want to get out with this book is that your grief changes. Because I, for so long, was stuck with my grief. For, for 10 years, it didn't change. And then that's quite hard to accept it will, because you're like, no, it will never, like, I've had 10 years of this. Why would this be different? And as it starts to move, you're like, oh, my God, all those things I thought at year five were wrong. And I would have sworn blind, no, this is how I'm going to grieve. This is what I'm doing. So to be compassionate to yourself for how you're feeling and and for how your grief may change to not expect you know human beings don't stay the same we evolve your taste change your, your face change like we are constantly moving and grief is a part of you it will do the same thing and I think if we can just let it be a bit lighter of like yeah it today it's this next year it might not be and at the moment I'm in a really good place with my grief <laughs> but I also know that means a grief wave might be coming <laughs> because I've been pretty good so I'm also trying at the moment to just be like even this even my truth right now will change you know and I will read this book in two years and be like what why did I think that was true like it's oh they still buy it um <laughs> it'll be different for you um like let let it be just try and let it be what it what it wants to be at that day and I think that's the only way I've learned to deal with it I haven't 
got any magic you know things that make it go away but I've just learned whenever it turns up to be like oh okay here it is today oh, well it might not be there tomorrow so let's see how we go that's my wisdom thank you um uh, do we have any questions? Um, uh, my wife died four years and three and a half months ago, and my kids were 10 and 13 at the time, they're now 14 and 18. So, coming from that point of view, um, what was your relationship with your mother like at that time when it happened? Yeah, uh, it's hard, isn't it? I always feel. Um because for me, being 15 is really burnt in here. So, when I speak to parents of kids, I'm like, I always feel like I'm like. On the ki- I'm like with the kids, even though I'm pro- I'm much nearer your age than them. <laughs> but um, it, we had a really good relationship. My mum was we already had a good relationship, and I do think grief is um, a magnifier of everything. And me and my dad didn't have a great relationship, so when he died, it got worse. So, but I was lucky that I did have a good relationship with my mum prior to that. And I think the biggest thing for us that that helped, which I wonder if that what you're asking as a parent of um, grieving children was that she never um, she never shut the conversation down. And I didn't realise how hard it must have been for her because obviously you're just dealing with your grief and you're just like, I'm in pain. And um, But if ever we cried or brought it up or didn't want to talk about it, she was very, okay, that's fine. It's up to you. Not today, fine. And I always felt like the door was open. And I really screamed at her a lot that I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> like I was like, I don't want to talk... If you, if I had had a, a button that would made me tell the truth, I would have said I'm, I am crying out to talk about this, and I don't know how to say that. So all I can do is scream. I don't want to, and that's the one thing I think with teenagers is they really adamantly tell you no. And I've spoken to so many parents who are like, but they're telling me adamantly they don't want to talk about it, and I'm like, they do, but that doesn't mean you're, they're going to or that you should make them. But do trust that they probably do. They just don't know how to. And the one thing me and my mum have talked about since is that um, she didn't push me, which I can understand because I was so aggressive. <laughs> so, but I really did want someone to go, you have to talk about this or you have to go to counselling. And they, they, she took me to one session and I was like, oh, never doing that again. What part of shit? So shit. So a woman was so annoying, never going. And, but actually I was like, please, can someone, if you make me go back, I'll go. <laughs> but that's obviously very individual to me. But I always, the good thing was I felt like the door was always open if I wanted to talk to her, I could. And if I wanted to be sad, I could. And I never felt like she would ever shut it down or say, oh, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. She was just like, yeah. And she would cry in front of us, but not all the time, which I think is quite a good, <laughs> a good balance. I definitely knew that she was sad, but she definitely obviously hid some things from us because you also want to feel like that parent is, is stable. And that's, I, I just think now I'm older, I think your position is so awful. But when you're a teenager, you're like, this is so hard for me and my dad. It's gone. And now I'm like, oh my God, your part, like, that's completely, that's so much harder to deal with. And I did turn around to her the other day and I was like, I'm really, I'm really sorry that your husband died. Like, that's awful. And she was like, yeah, it was really shit. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, because I couldn't see her grief at all. And that's the other thing I think that is quite hard as a kid. You sort of know they're upset, but you're like, yeah, but my dad died. Like, <laughs> I know you're upset it's pretty bad <laughs> I, I could not see anything other than mine so yeah I don't know if that's in any way helpful <laughs> double thumbs up podcast double thumbs up <laughs> I'll take that I'll take that any other questions oh there's one right oh. at the back yeah the question was similar Venn diagram dad 20 years teenager high five to our room in the club <laughs> um, and living in Spain and do they do 
I had a really interesting episode with someone whose dad died in Spain. This is not what you're asking me, but I'm telling you. Um, and his dad wanted his body to be donated to science, which is unheard of in Spain because it's such a Catholic country. And they had so much... It was so hard. And he said, like, it was really difficult because it was his dad's last wish. But they all acted like he was going to hell. Like, they were, like, absolutely disgusted with him. And no one would really help them do it. And I, that was the first time I was like, oh, God, it hadn't occurred to me. In terms of doing it well, now, this is a cliche, but I, Irish people are doing it well. Like, I'm, I speak to so many... <laughs> thumbs up. I've had so, much, so many Irish guests on the show... They're always happy to talk about it. They go to funerals from a young age. They see dead bodies. They still have wakes at home. It still seems like it's such a part of the culture. And there's um, Gronya Maguire, this brilliant Irish comedian, was talking about a friend of hers whose first memory of being a baby is being held over a coffin to look <laughs> at somebody in the coffin. And I was like, I mean, that is bold. That is bold. But I just feel like the way they talk about it, I've never seen them... I've never seen that revulsion that we're talking about, that fear. It's very much like, they're very calm about talking. It's like, oh yes, your dad died, my dad died, let me tell you about it. Oh, that was sad. And it's like, it's just very, it's like very normal. And they have this wonderful thing with funerals that it doesn't matter if you don't know the person, you go to the funeral. And this happened recently between some comedy friends. So um, an English comedian's cousin had died. All the English people were like, oh, that's sad, but obviously we're not going to, we don't know your cousin. And the Irish community was like, right, who's coming? How should we get there? And the English community had to say, please don't come. Like, it's, <laughs> it will be so strange if you busload all these people. Like, my family will be confused and you're on television, so they'll be like, what is happening? And she was like, no, no, we, that's, we've got to all be there for you. She was like, I know that, like, God love you, that is how you would, but it's so alien to our culture. But I also think, why is that a shame that you just go to a funeral because you want to support that person, not, oh, I knew them? Because it's such a weird thing we have here of, like, the rope. You can't, did you know them? How well? Two years? Yeah, all right, you can come in. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I think Irish, Irish culture is, is very good. And it's odd, obviously, being half Welsh and that kind of Celtic thing, and it doesn't seem, it hasn't crossed over. <laughs> it's, Irish people is very, completely different. There's a brilliant book as well. Oh, I can't remember her name. She wrote about the history of Irish, how they, like, where, it, where the wake comes from and how the wake used to be, like, completely raucous and, like, people would get absolutely wasted and they had to kind of calm it down. Thank you. Oh, there's another one. Fascinated about the, the death month because I thought I was the only... I'm, oh. going, I'm on 33 years, oh, okay. but, but I was also a teen, uh, an older teen, but, yeah. Um... What do you, do you do anything specifically on the death day? Mm. Because I sort of relive it hour by hour. Oh, Just because sorry. I feel like it's an honorary, uh, like yeah. I'm honoring the process. So literally, and I sort of sometimes will warn my husband, it's the day. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I used to, like, wake up and be, like, braced, like, here we go. And he died in the morning, so I used to be, like, until that clock had ticked past, I couldn't think of anything and um, I currently have two small children and that has changed everything because <laughs> I can't think of anything because someone's screaming at me and so like this year at part I was like oh my god oh the time oh, I didn't even because people were literally punching each other and screaming so I, I don't recommend that as like a handy way of dealing with it because um, you have other problems um, yeah and so I try again I try and just think how do you feel on the day I try not to 
place too much pressure on myself to feel anyway. I used to feel like, here it comes, we must honour it and it must be a big thing. And and lately, it hasn't been a big thing for me. I have genuinely passed it in quite calm fashion, which is new. And I felt guilty. I thought, oh, I'm not doing it right. And then I was like, well, that's okay. At the moment, my focus is so distracted, so I'm not remembering it the same way. And it's quite nice to visit this world of not being bothered by a death anniversary. But I think it will probably come back when I'm less distracted. So I, yeah, we often used to try and do something family on the day, like just see each other. Sometimes not even bring it up, but just see each other and just, me and my mum will always mention it. I text my brother, I go, by the way, it's the day today. Is it? <laughs> like, yes, it's the day today. But he doesn't want a death anniversary. He doesn't want that. So he has purposely wiped the, he's like, I don't remember the date because I don't want that to be the thing. And my way of dealing it is to be like, here it comes. And again, nothing is right. I think as long as you, I get asked this a lot on Twitter, like how to, how to honor it. And whenever I retweet it at the grief post, um, people always say you should either do something that you want to do or something that they wanted to do. So either do something that absolutely like, oh, I'd love to see that film and no one wants to see it with me. Oh, fuck it, I'm going to go. Or something that you think, oh, they would love to have gone and seen that film or gone for that walk. Or So you sort of honor them by being there. I think as, if you can try and make it as peaceful as possible, because it sounds like, like you said, you're still like living through it a lot. Like, obviously, I don't know the full circumstances. Um, but yeah, trying to make it as peaceful as it can be. And always know, it's always fine, isn't it? The day after, you always think, oh, I did get through it. But you, it's the build-up for me, I always think is worse. So I try and keep that in my head now, of like, the day after will be fine. It's just... And even the day before is worse than the actual day, because you're oh, yeah, it's going to be tomorrow, it's going to be tomorrow, it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, it's another day and it's fine. And I've got that email to reply to, and oh, I forgot to get milk. Like, all that other stuff gets involved. So it's never as, you know, the heavens don't open and people don't, the streets don't stop. It, it carries on, which is a good thing. I think we've got time for one more question. Oh, are we done? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was 14 when my sister died, and it's time. Sorry. Yes, I'm, sorry. I'm chewing on the sweet. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, God, she's so emotional. It's a sweet, guys. It's a sweet. But do you ever, so I'll be talking to people that I might not know very well and say, oh, so have you got any brothers or um, sisters? Yeah. And we've got a choice between bringing this massive thing into a conversation. Yeah. And you're having a lovely time and it's nice day, and then some, suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. And you're like, I know it's awful, but we're having a nice time. But So are you ever tempted to kind of brush over it and kind of say something really kind of unclear? rather than yeah. kind of land this big bomb in the middle of a nice time. <laughs> I write about this in the book. I feel, I really feel for people with sibling loss because parental loss, people assume they're divorced or they assume that he left and didn't look after us, especially with dads. So like, it's quite easy for me to brush over it because it's like, if I don't mention, they assume, oh, they were divorced, oh, he left them. And I can leave that. But I think with siblings, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because people want a definite answer. Like, well, how many do you have? And I spoke to a lady who'd lost, um, her son had died, and she was saying, I don't want to say I've got four kids, I've got five. But how do I explain there's four kids here? And I was like, oh, yeah, I think it's really hard, as ever, it's grief. I choose, I now I try and choose the moment, and this is what I write about in the book. Who am I talking to? Can they cope? Can I cope if they react badly? And if it, those answers are like, no, I'm in a bad place today. I don't like this person. They've already said something insensitive. Brush over, just brush over. Like, don't, don't feel bad about it. You're protecting yourself. But if you think, oh, I'm actually in an okay place today. 
to deliver the information and then make it clear. And this is unfortunately, I think we have to do it and it's shit, we shouldn't, but we have to make clear, you can now move on, I'm okay. And so I will sometimes be like, oh, my dad died when I was 15. And oh my God, <laughs> what? And I go, it's okay. I, yeah, it, it's a very, it was very painful, but you know, we don't have to talk about it. It's all right, don't worry. And that I'm trying to be like, don't worry. We're not going to have the conversation you are panicking that we're going to have. So I feel like I've learned to help them. And I used to resent that. But now I'm like, what can I do? Sit them down and explain grief history to them? No. Can I like make them understand? No. Do I want them to really understand this pain? No, not really. It's horrible. So I try and sort of go, well, that's my job. And have grief people that you can then ring instantly and go, guess what they fucking said? You never guess what they fucking said. <laughs> can you believe this? Can you believe this? Um, I interviewed Kathy Rensenbrink. Do you know Kathy who wrote Last Acts of Love? Her brother had a car accident and then died much later. Um, they had to switch off um, his machines that were keeping him alive. And she said that she began at university to say she was an only child because she couldn't deal with it. And then someone said to her, oh, I thought so. You act like an only child. And she was like, what? And she said she was so annoyed because she was like, but you're wrong. I'm not annoyed. Like, you've, you've made this assumption I've given you that, you know, the way people like to put everyone in boxes. And so she said that was the last time she ever denied him because she was like, I don't want you, like, I'm not, that's not who I am. And so she, she said, you know, even though it was painful, she would say, yeah, I have a brother, but, you know, he's currently in a vegetative state or he died and this happened. So I think it is, it's really hard and there's no right answer, but I would always judge it on that. Try and give yourself that moment. You know, when they ask you and you have that, how am I going to say? Like, just, I always think, who are they? Can they cope with this? Can I cope with this? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, he died. Anyway, what shoes do you need? <laughs> what size are you, madam? Um, yeah. You'll be, it's amazing when people ask you these things. But the questions are so hard. And it, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And, the, you know, I think university was quite a bad time for questions. But you still, I still have sometimes people really like, oh, your mum and dad together. And you're like, why, are you, why do you need to know? Why do you need to know? No, they're not together. Not yet, in heaven. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, hope that helps. Um, thank you so much, Cara. Do you think we could yeah. squeeze them? Oh, well, yeah, if there is. If you, if there it, is. Has anyone got... No, you're just stretching. No, okay, that was a very ill-timed stretch. We all got ready. Oh, okay. Oh, there is okay. one there, yeah. So, currently, there's, there's a lot of talk around trauma. Mm. How do you relate grief and trauma? Yeah, I, d I do now. I didn't used to. I used to, as I said, think, oh, he just died, no big deal. And now I do see it was a, a very traumatic event for me. Um, but I think it's really personal. And I think there's other people that could go through the same experience and wouldn't have found it as traumatic as I did, perhaps. I don't know. But now I understand that I, I had a traumatic event and the way I reacted to it was quite similar to PTSD. Like, I had a lot of stuff that I, you know, had, bl uh, like blanked out memories of things and then the anxiety and like the nightmares and stuff that I thought was a bit weird. And now through therapy, I've gone, oh, that was a traumatic thing. But I think we have to be, it takes a long time, as we were saying, to be compassionate to yourself, to allow yourself to not judge yourself so harshly and not think you're making a fuss so it wasn't a big deal. And I think, you know, even I've spoken to people who've lost grandmas aged 99 who've died at home and they are still very upset about it <laughs> and they still feel the grief and they still feel like they've lost something really important to them. And that made me think of like, well, even if you lift this, you know, obviously 
that's less traumatic perhaps than what happened to me at 15, there's still pain there. And as we say on the show all the time, there's no grief hierarchy. If you feel it, you feel it. If it feels traumatic to you, it is traumatic to you. Like, that's all I can relate. That's the only sense I've made of it all because otherwise it's so... It's such an uncompassionate way to think about yourself if you don't allow yourself to go, well, yeah, that was traumatic. And I think especially if it's been a shocking death, an unexpected death, a young death, a death out of turn of events, that you know, anything like that, I would completely describe as a trauma. And I think we need to get better at allowing people that. Um, thank you so much for all of your questions. And unfortunately, we've come to an end. Thank um, you so much, everyone. Thank you. So Cariad's book is out in January. But if you don't mind, I just wanted to kind of read a very oh, quick little paragraph. Okay, sure. which is, it your, is it your quote? It <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, guys. No. <laughs> I mean, it's a good quote, guys. No, really I think it summarises everything you've been speaking about and everything oh, okay. that people have been asking you okay. that I've highlighted like a little nerd. Oh, but thank you. <laughs> um, so, and I kind of wanted to read it to you uh, to just encourage you why it's such a brilliant book about grief. And I don't tend to read books about grief, but this <laughs> no, one No, we don't. We hate them. One, we hate <laughs> them. There's too many. Even we though we write all. about it, we hate them. <laughs> <laughs> so in this, Cariad writes, it helps us to hear other people, helps us to connect with each other. When we find those crossover moments, we are no longer isolated, we are no longer alone, we are no longer the only person this has happened to. What happened to us isn't weird or unfair, it's human. Grief is human. Grief is the price you pay for life. And I think that that is, you are such a gifted writer. Oh, thank and you. thank you for this book. Please put your hands together for the amazing oh, Carrie Adler. Thank Lloyd. you. <laughs> and for Poda Bell, everybody. My esteemed grief elder. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. It really means a lot. I didn't, I thought it might be about five of you, so it's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> if you'd like to buy Carrier's book, <laughs> how long can I continue this? Uh, you can pre order it now. You are not alone from all good bookstores or it's available to buy from January the 19th. You can follow Cariad on Twitter at Lady Cariad or Instagram at Cariad Lloyd or you can follow her podcast The Griefcast at The Griefcast on Instagram or Twitter. Pornabelle, you can follow her on Instagram at Pornabelle, P-O-O-R-N-A-B-E-L-L. And her books, uh, her latest book is a fiction book. It's so, so brilliant. And just, yeah, she's a fantastic writer. Just follow her on Instagram. She's just one of those people that's like a joy to follow. Um, in The book is called In Case of Emergency. That is out now. But she does have a few other books about grief as well. Chase the Rainbow and In Search of Silence. If you're looking for grief books, which you might be because you're here. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode. And remember, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 